open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. We'll probably have today and this evening and next Sunday in Zechariah 3. And then when I get back from vacation, we'll be in chapter 4, Lord willing. You know what's... This, this is always amazing to me as a preacher, a person that communicates God's Word. I, um, I have oh, chosen, I believe that it's the job of the pastor, to periodically deal with topics that are relevant to the congregation or to a particular time. I think that that's perfectly appropriate for a preacher to do. But I think generally speaking, and we'll look at the text in a minute, um, that my job is to preach the Word of God, to go through a book of the Bible and just communicate what that book teaches. That does a couple of things. It helps me to be obedient to Paul's charge to preach the whole counsel of God. Um, it helps us deal with things. You know, there's no way that I can know what's going on in all of your homes. There's no way that I can know what's going on in all of your hearts. Um, but God does. And it's amazing how often... God deals with something in your lives that I didn't know anything about. And God deals with it. That's way better than me oh, knowing something ahead of time. It's just better because then it's not a personal thing as if I'm oh, attacking you. It's, it's just straight from the Holy Spirit of God. And that's an amazing thing. Um, but something else that... Uh, another reason that I like to preach and teach the Bible this way is because it helps you all to know that you can do this too. Anything that I'm doing, you can do the same thing in your own personal Bible study. So that's why we do it this way. But that being said, sometimes I know that it's going to be a really cool doctrinal sermon. That's the stuff that I like. Sometimes I know that it's going to be a very basic, practical, everyday lesson that I know some of you enjoy. Today, I thought it was going to be one of those basic and practical things that's necessary and helpful, a little less interesting to me. And you know what I found out? Everything from God that's basic and practical is deeply doctrinal also. So I get to have fun today too, along with some of you. So let's look at this verse 7. What we're going to look at is the duty of a priest. The duty of a priest. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among those or among these that stand by. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we understand just this very practical instruction from you on what a priest should do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know we have folks here that haven't been here for some of the previous messages or you've been on vacation or whatever. So let's, let's fill in a little bit what's going on in the book of Zechariah. Uh, God has uh, brought the people through the Babylonian captivity. They were in captivity for 70 years. They're supernaturally led back to uh, the nation of Israel. And they're to rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. Well, as they're trying to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans fight against them, Sanballat and Tobiah and all of that argument. And the king got tired of it, and he told them they couldn't rebuild the temple. They had to stop. So then the king allows them to rebuild again. Zerubbabel comes back, and they're allowed to rebuild, but they're not. They're not. And so for several years, the temple sits idle. The construction is idle. And so Haggai is called to, um, uh, to, to preach a revival to the people so that they'll finish the temple. Well, they commit to do that. Zechariah prophesies at the same time. And his prophecy is telling them to continue, to finish. And the reason they need to finish is because Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to rule from Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. They're going to be his people. Well, in the meantime, here in chapter 3, God is talking about Joshua. Joshua, not Joshua as in Joshua and Caleb, but Joshua the priest, the high priest of Israel, and his, his condition. His condition is that he has not acknowledged who the Lord is. So here in chapter 3, God does that. And so look at verse 4. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, this is Jesus Christ, take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, behold, I have caused an iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, so now Zechariah is saying this, and I said, let them set a fair miter upon his head, so they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments 
and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now clothing him with garments and the mitre, that's, those are the priestly garments. So the filthy garments that he had on, that's the result of making the sacrifices. And the, the priest would be filthy, covered in blood and all of the mess from all the sacrifices. He would have to change then and put on his priestly garments and now minister to the people for the Lord. Isn't that interesting? And so that's what he did. We looked at that last week. If you weren't here, you want to get that CD. It's an amazing truth that's found here in Zechariah. Well, now that he has the priestly garments, now that that he's ready to minister for the Lord, now God tells him what to do. So now what I want to do is I want us to look at what the priest was supposed to do, Joshua, in Zechariah. But I also want to see how this would apply to us today. So keep your place here. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, look at verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. So this is, John has looked for someone to open the book and loose the seals. He couldn't find anyone, but he's told that the Lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, and he's worthy to open the book. And thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And look at what it says. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So this is to the believers. God is beginning to deal with Israel after this, starting in chapter 6. He'll start the tribulation of Israel to bring them back to himself. The church was raptured out in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. We're in heaven worshiping God, and so this is us. We have been made kings and priests, and we will reign on earth with God. That's cool. So we are kings and priests. There was a prince, George, born over in England that week, you know, last week. Well, I am Prince James. Yes. Um, now, look at... Well, I, we won't take the time to look it up. But you know that First Peter 2.9 says, Ye are a chosen genera- generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're kings and priests. What is that? A royal priesthood. That's us. If you're saved, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, that's you. So we're going to look at the obligation, what God told a priest he's supposed to do in Zechariah 3, and then we're going to look at how that applies to us as believers in our Christian walk. What are we to do? All right? So Zechariah chapter 3. Let's go back there. All right, verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk... In my ways, if thou wilt walk in my ways. This is the personal part. This is what the, what the priest is supposed to do in his personal walk. So the idea is this. We have a statement of faith. We have things that we believe. Um, but we also have a life of faith. We have a life of faith. Now, it's interesting. If we're going to walk in his ways, then we need to know what his ways are. So there's an assumption here of a knowledge of the ways of God. You know, how many of you ever heard a statement like this? A Christian shouldn't behave that way. What's that based on? Sometimes it's based on an opinion. It ought to be based on what God has revealed in His Word. You know, a Christian shouldn't lie. A Christian couldn't, shouldn't steal. A Christian shouldn't remain angry. You know, Ephesians 4 gives us this whole list of things that a believer should do. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor the work of his hands that he may have to give to him that hath need. I messed up that verse a little bit, but that's the idea of it. So we understand these ways, but let me say this. I don't know that we understand them well enough, and that's why we should labor to know God's Word for ourselves. So the idea is this is a personal walk, and this is the idea that my life needs to honor my charge. See what the verse says? Uh, It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and wilt keep my charge. Walk in my ways, and keep my charge. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 6, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. In all thy ways. So what are your ways? What's that talking about? It's the way that you do something. So honor the Lord in the way that you do everything. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we have this real pie-in-the-sky idea. Your ways. Well, it's the way you talk. It's the way you walk. It's the way that you 
you think. It's the way that you allow your emotions to control you. So do that in a way that honors the Lord. So the priest had to have a personal holiness, a personal righteousness that would help him keep his charge. So we as believers, well, we need to know in all thy ways acknowledge him. All thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. So how do you do stuff? Do you do it for the Lord? Do you do it as a believer? Or do you do it just because this is the way that it's always been done? Or this is what is traditionally done? Or this is what the world does? See, this is removing the normal and making it sacred. See, for the believer, we don't believe in that we have a, a sacred life and a secular life. We believe that everything is sacred. Everything is sacred. You know, people are talking about um, with, with health care and all of this, it's quality of life. And if a person doesn't have a good quality of life, we should let them die. So the discussion is quality of life. We believe in the sanctity of life. That this is a life that was created by God. And so it's His. And so the way that we should deal with that is as if it is God's. Amen? So this is the idea of our ways. So our ways include how we vote, how we think, how we discern. All right? So that's your ways. Um, look with me at Romans chapter 1. This is interesting. I think that you'll see a good picture of the world in contrast to the way the believer should be. Romans chapter 1, look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. All right, let me give you an example of a reprobate mind. Borrowing money to get out of debt. See, that's, that's somebody whose brain doesn't work. Their brain doesn't work. I mean, that's, that's completely illogical. It's irrational. How many of you would agree that that's completely irrational? That's a reprobate mind. When someone says, I am going to reject what God says about the laws of the universe, well, then you speak like a fool. That's, that's a foolish thing to say. Now, someone here might be saying, Pastor, that's a political comment. No, no, that's a common sense comment, which means it can't be political. <laughs> right? Because politics is full of reprobate minds. Reprobate minds. Um, and so this is the way it is for all of our thinking. This is all of our thinking. When you, there was just uh, oh, a conservative media group went to, I think it was George Mason University, and was taking, was doing a petition that said that um, aborting a baby after the third trimester is illegal in all 50 states. We, we're signing, we're, we're, we want you to sign this petition to make abortion after the third trimester legal. And all these people were signing it. So after the third trimester, the baby's born, right? And so the, George Mason, it's one of the hardest universities to get into. It's a real high level. Supposed to, these people are supposed to be smart. But so what's that saying? That's infanticide. It, of course, abortion is infanticide also unless you have a reprobate mind. But if, if you use your common sense, then aborting or killing a child in the fourth trimester, that's, that's when they're alive. That's when they've been born. That's when they're breathing on their own. That's when they're living. And so you have these people with a reprobate mind signing this thing. And it's a combination of reprobate mind and, you know, uninformed mind. Because, you know, with all the sex education that's gone on, apparently these people don't know what the fourth trimester is. So really successful, really good. Okay? So this is just... We're acknowledging God in our ways when we don't do that. So acknowledging God in our ways is thinking about Him when we do things, right? Look at the verse, verse 28 again. It says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. 
They won't do that. They won't retain him in their knowledge. Go to the book of Colossians. Chapter 2. I'm going to preach a message on this passage for you here. Sometime in the near future. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 2. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. All right? So there's a richness that comes from a full assurance of understanding. So let's think about this. The, the Bible is assigning value to a confident understanding. Right? This is, this is value. So they're not... Uh, in, in Romans one twenty eight. They didn't retain God in their knowledge. We're to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. And here the Bible is telling us that there is, there is an innate value, an intrinsic value to this confidence, this assurance, nice whistle, of our understanding. Okay? Are you all with me on that? And this is where I think our culture has really hurt us. There are some things that we need to know. I know this. And we're going to see why this is important in a minute. But I know this. What is that? That's assurance. That's assurance of understanding. Right? So that means we need to understand things. You've got to have understanding. Um, you know, there's a difference. You teachers, you know that there are times when a kid can answer a question on a test, but he doesn't really understand the material. That was my entire math career. Okay, uh, so understanding, and that, that's it, isn't that, wouldn't you all of you agree, that's the difference between a good teacher and just somebody who has a job. That's the person who has a job can get the person to get the stuff down on the test. The good teacher gives them understanding. I may have told you before, um, I, I did horrible in math. To graduate from college, I had to have a basic math class. So I waited until I had graduated, and, you know, sometimes they'll let you march when you have a few credits left. And so I had two classes that I had to take in those interim sessions after graduation. One was computers, knew nothing. And then the second was math. And so Barry Britton was our math teacher there at Crown College. And he had taught at the War College. He had two masters from the Air Force Academy. And he was one of the heads of Reagan's um, SDI thing for shooting missiles into outer space. I asked him one time, I said, how do you launch a missile from Nebraska and have it hit Moscow. And so he writes this big formula. And it was awesome because we didn't have to do work that day. And so he does this, and I'm looking at it, and I had no idea what he was talking about, but it was really cool. But here's the thing that, that, that Brother Britton could do. You know, he was typical geek, pocket protector, comb over, you know, the whole thing. But look what he could do. He helped me to understand algebra. For the first time in my life, I understood the principles that he was talking about or that, that had been taught me earlier. What was the difference? Well, two problems. Dull student, right, for those early teachers. But then the second thing was a, a teacher that was so familiar with his subject that he was not only able to teach it, he was able to impart understanding. That's what a great teacher is. That's what we're supposed to do. All of us as believers, we're supposed to know the Lord and His ways so well that we are able to impart understanding to other people. All right, now, look at our text. We're, we're to Colossians still, verse 2. All right, verse 2, "...that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in all love, unto all riches..." of the full assurance of understanding, look at what it says, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right, so now, if I want to be a wise person, if I want to be a person that knows how to live in the ways of God, then I have to understand... I have to have full assurance of the understanding 
of the mystery. And what is that mystery? God and Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that means that any true knowledge that I get isn't from the science class, and that doesn't mean that science class is bad, but the true knowledge begins with knowledge of God, and if I will acknowledge who God is, He'll give me understanding in science as I study that. Amen? Let me say this. Scientists make lousy philosophers. Right? It's this idea of origins. I don't have time to get into a lot of it, but the idea is this. It's all, when you get into origins, it's all faith because none of us were there. Right? We don't have a movie. It's not on YouTube. None of us were there, so it's all faith. So my presuppositions, we are, as a Christian, if I were a scientist... As a Christian, my approach to that would be God created the heavens and the earth. And so now I am going to learn about that by trying to understand the mystery of the Creator as revealed in the Scriptures. If I will do that, then He will open up my understanding of the universe. How many of you believe that? You really do believe that? What is that? That's a presupposition. The presupposition of the modern scientist is that I must explain this apart from God. Certainly, God could have absolutely nothing to do with it, so I have to remove the possibility of God. And now I have to try and figure out how this happened. And that leads me to this highly intelligent understanding. It just happened. Well, it's here. It must have happened. It just happened. Okay? That's not very smart. That's reprobate mind. You see? So this is acknowledging Him in all of our ways and Him giving us understanding. It's knowing some things so that I can personally walk in His ways. Okay, so number one, walk in His ways. Go back to to, uh, Zechariah. Isn't that profoundly practical? Right? I've got to think about him in, in the way that I do everything. Um, I've got to think about him in the way that I drive. All right? I need to drive with forgiveness, not anger. All right? Um, look at what we have. Zechariah 3, 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways and if thou wilt keep my charge... Keep my charge. So what is this? Walking in the ways, that's the personal aspect of the priest's life. Keeping his charge, that's the professional aspect of the priest's life. Okay? So this keeping the charge. Let's, let's try to get an understanding of this, this professional faith. He needs to be right. He needs to keep his ministry right. Look at Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Look at verse 35. All right, so here's what Moses has done. Moses has taught the priesthood where their place is, what they're supposed to do. Verse 35. Therefore shall ye abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night, seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord. Look at this. See if this is important. That ye die not. For so I am commanded. All right, so I think that that's a pretty good uh, uh, understanding of the importance of them keeping their charge. That you die not. That's the charge that's being spoken of in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 7. This is the charge. It's charge to be at the temple, be at the tabernacle here in Leviticus, at the temple there in Zechariah, and keep your charge. And what was that? That was all of the instruction that was given the priesthood on how they were to conduct the worship. All right. Um, later on, David was getting ready to die. So go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 2, and he was going to give some instructions to, to Solomon. See if this relates anything to Zechariah 3 7. So go to 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1.
So we're talking about walking in his ways and keeping his charge. 1 Kings 2.1 Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying... Let me stop for a second. You know, I think that it would be a good idea for us to get back to this. You know, now when someone's on their deathbed, it's all about them. I love you, Dad. And, man, I'm glad I got to say goodbye to my mom. Um, but I think that we ought to have men who, you know, if they can, you know, if you're, if you're killed in an accident or quickly, obviously this would, you couldn't do this. But when God allows you to live long enough to where your family's around you as you begin the journey to eternity, well, it ought to be about the Lord and about your charging of your children, your family, your grandchildren. Isn't that a good thought? That just wasn't prepared, that's just right there, came from the text. Wow. Wow. We need to take the emphasis away from the one dying to the one he's going to see. Wow. All right. Now, let's just, we can just preach right there for a little while. All right. So now look at what he said to him. Verse 2. I go the way of all the earth. It's an interesting turn of a phrase, isn't it? Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Um, I guarantee you that's not a politically correct statement. You know, but biblically, I want a man to show himself a man. All right, now look at verse 3. And that's another sermon right there that we could preach. Let me, let me just say this. A man showing himself a man is not popular in the culture anymore. If a man speaks like a man, that's considered offensive. It's considered boorish. Um, you know, if, if a man talks the way that a man would talk, you know. You're not allowed to call anybody a sissy anymore. Effeminate. Effeminate is an abomination. So if you've got a son that's effeminate, help him be a man. The lady act like a lady, let a man act like a man. We have women, you know, we, Laura and I were watching Fox News yesterday morning, and this lady came on to give her opinion about a court case, and it sounded something like this. Well, I don't think that's right. <laughs> you know, you're saying, hey, give me my smokes. <laughs> uh, and it was so odd. I mean, just this, Bleh. it was, <laughs> it was so odd. How many of you ever experienced something like that? You know what I'm talking about. All right, so what is the difference? Lady being a lady, man being a man. And I wonder if the millennial generation, the young people, when it says, show thyself a man, I wonder how that registers in their minds. Let's make sure that we demonstrate that, right? Um, look, I'm not that interested in being in touch with my feminine side, right? My feminine side is over there. I'm supposed to be the masculine side. That's called... A family. Amen? All right. Back to this sermon. Look at verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, and His judgments and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest, thyself. All right, so here, in his ways, he's been given a charge, and those ways are to be governed by the law of Moses, whichever way he turns. That's his charge. That's the charge also. So that's the charge of the priest. That's the charge of the king. What are we? Kings and priests. So now, let's look at the New Testament understanding of this. Go to Mark chapter 9. I think you'll find this interesting. Mark chapter 9. Um, Maryland or Delaware schools, one of the two, just voted down the option of teaching the Bible as an elective, you know, about the Bible. You can't, you're not allowed to do that. They voted that down. You see why? 
Can you imagine standing up in a, a, a northeastern liberal school and teaching someone that a man's supposed to act like a man? Not allowed to do that. That's why in Washington State, the universities there, um, they've changed their terminology. You're not allowed to call someone a freshman anymore. First year, because, of, because man is in the name. So when I, when I make these statements, sometimes people might think, you know, that's pastor just getting hung up. That's the world that we're living in. Be a man. Uh, in, in Job chapter 38, where Job had decided to question God, God said, gird thyself up like a man and answer me. What do you think his understanding of that was? Richard Simmons? Okay, girl, shake that fat. No. All right. Have we digressed? Mark 9. Jacob would probably say to me, Dad, you're too good at that. Mark 9, look at verse 25. This is interesting. Now, now before you read the verse, look up here at me. How many of you think that we ought to keep the charge God has given us? I want, to, I want you to see... That this is not something that ought to be difficult for us. Look at, look at Mark chapter 9, verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. It's interesting. A demon can respond to the charge of God. If a demon can do it, how many of you think that maybe a spirit-filled believer ought to be able to do it? Interesting. It's interesting. Look at um, Acts chapter 16. Oh, before we go there, look at Luke 4. Luke 4. Look at verse 10. So a demon can respond. Verse 10, Luke 4.10. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over thee to keep. All right, now, how many of you are glad that God's angels keep you? That's pretty cool. I'm just telling you that I have lived to this point. It's the, it's the protection of God and His angels. Not the little cement one in the front yard. Okay, real angel of God. God gives angels to protect us. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, I know that in broader Christianity, there are people that, you know, they kind of have an idea that that's an uh, anachronism, that that's a, that that's a passe, uh, uh, simple understanding. No, it just says that. I just think that the angels keep us. That, so demons can keep a charge. Angels can keep a charge. Look at Acts chapter 16. Look at verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, this is Paul and Silas in Philippi, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast with stocks. So what do you do? What it was his charge? Keep them Safely. That was their charge. All right? So now we have demons can keep a charge. Angels can keep a charge. A lost Roman official can keep a charge. How many of you think the believers ought to be able to keep a charge? It's interesting, isn't it? So God tells there in the book of Zechariah, if thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep thy charge, the charge that I've given you, what are some of the charges? Let's try and get an understanding a biblical understanding of our charge. We can get a little bit of it just from the charge that was given to the Philippian jailer. Keep safely. So we have been entrusted with the gospel, the Bible says. We've been put in trust with the gospel. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We've been put in trust with the gospel to keep it safely. We have the Bible here. Let's, let's do it biblically. All right. Go with me to 1 Timothy.
1 Timothy chapter 1. And so what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and get a biblical understanding of what it means to keep our charge. We understand, at least in a, in a cursory way, what the charge of the priest was in the Old Testament. We looked at some of that last week. We're looking at the priest now for us. What is the charge that we are to keep? And don't miss this. Everybody look up at me for just a second before we go to the Scriptures. This is so vital because this is the difference between the, the type of church we're trying to be and the rest of Christianity. Okay? We're going to show you what the difference is between us and Caleb. What's the difference between us and Caleb? What's the difference? Look what the Bible says. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's verse 3. All right, middle of verse 3. That thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but there at the church at Ephesus, they, what did they do? They ended up, Jesus said they left their first love. How did they leave their first love? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my word. They added words, phrases, and concepts to the Bible that weren't there that led into the great doctrinal error that has come about in our day. So now it's very important that we get this. In order to keep our charge, we must charge teachers in churches that they teach no other doctrine than what? Than Pauline doctrine. We understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John through the writings of the Apostle Paul. We looked at that last week. We understand the Old Testament by the writings of the Apostle Paul. We understand Hebrews, and we understand 1st and 2nd, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, 1st, 2nd Peter. We understand all of that through the Pauline epistles. That's very clear in the Bible. Teach no other doctrine. So what are we going to do if we're going to keep our charge? We had a no doctrine. And then we've got to charge other people. Hey, that's false doctrine. You can't teach that. But before you can do that, you've got to know what right doctrine is. Well, good people can disagree on this. Maybe you better find out what right doctrine is before you find out what, before you start saying what it's okay to disagree on. Amen? If the Bible's clear on it, we ought to be clear on it. Then look at chapter 1, verse 18. We're still in 1 Timothy. This, I, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou biest them mightest war a good warfare. That's kind of manly. Holding faith and having a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus, and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. All right, again, we have this concept of Christianity that we're all just loving and kind, and we can disagree, disagree we can disagree agreeably. Delivered them unto Satan. I guess he could smile when he said, I gave him to Satan. Isn't that interesting? So this is our charge, that we, we understand that this charge is we're in a warfare. It's not a picnic, it's a warfare. It's not a love-in, it's a warfare. And what is going to be the attack in our warfare? False doctrine. False doctrine. That's our ways and keeping. Let's see if we can learn anything else about our charge. 1 Timothy 5.7. 1 Timothy 5.7. All right, so this is talking about how to deal with widows and, and ladies in the church. He says, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. So what is this? This is moral and practical instruction. Moral and practical instruction. That's what the pastor is supposed to give. That's the charge that's been given. And then when you look at how they're, what they're supposed to do, um, look at what it says, verse 9. It says, let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, so 60, 
having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. So what they're going to do is they're going to rely on the church, and then when someone comes along who's a lost man, they'll marry that lost man and walk away from the faith. That's what the Bible's talking about. Um, Having damnation, look at verse 13. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So it goes on and it discusses what these women are supposed to do. And we're supposed to charge them. Um, look at verse 21. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another before another, without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So we're supposed to do these things based on truth, not based on the person. But see, Christianity is so flipped around. We base the way that we minister on the person. No, we're not supposed to have partiality. These things are true. We have a charge to keep. We're supposed to hold and we're supposed to care for these things. I wonder when the last time 1 Timothy chapter 5 was dealt with on Christian radio. It's very interesting. Why is that? Because we have a society full of people that are not behaving the way they're supposed to behave. And so ministries are constructed to fit the culture rather than change the culture to fit the Scriptures. Right? So the, so the man of God looks like a, a raving lunatic in our culture. It's just true. A Neanderthal, a barbarian. All right. Now, look at uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Getting this idea of our charge. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, uh, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, this is so interesting. We're supposed to charge. Look at the, look at the, the gamut of people that the pastors to charge. Other pastors? Young and old widows? Rich people. Who's the pastor supposed to charge? Everybody. That's the job of the preacher. That's the job of the minister. That's the job. Look, that's the job of the priest. So not only is the pastor supposed to be doing these things, all of us are supposed to be doing these things. Why? Because the Bible says in Ephesians 4, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man, Jesus Christ. That's who we are all supposed to be. That's what it means to keep His charge. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word... Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, 
Make full proof of thy ministry. So what's our charge? Our charge includes keeping something. Our charge includes doctrine. Our charge includes righteous behavior. Our charge includes caring for our finances. Our charge includes preaching, teaching, reproving, rebuking, exhorting, with all longsuffering and doctrine. Wow. Do you think maybe that's why... We've got to walk in His ways before we can keep His charge. Because this is going to entail all of our life. Now, let's go on. Um, go back to Zechariah chapter 3. The job or the duty of the priest... Look at verse 7 again. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep my charge, and then... Thou shalt also judge my house. Then thou shalt also judge my house. Um, Deuteronomy 17.9 said, And thou shalt come unto the priests, the Levites, and unto the judge that shall be in those days, and inquire. And they shall show thee the sentence of judgment. So the priests were going to be the judges. That's who would judge what was going on in the community. But the Bible says that we are also judges. Look at first. Corinthians chapter 5. Judge not, lest thou be judged. How many of you have ever heard that? Who are you to judge? All right. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So what are we supposed to do in the church? We're supposed to judge people. If somebody's a fornicator, they're not living right. If somebody's an idolater, if somebody's a railer, they have a horrible spirit, just venomous, we're supposed to kick them out of the church. What are we doing? We're judging. We're judging. Is that what the Bible says? Now, this is very interesting. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? So we need to find, you know, we've we got to go to St. Augustine and we got to go to, to St. Bernard. No, 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 there's Christians. There's Christians. Do you not know, look at verse 2, that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by, what's it say? So does that give you an idea who the saints are? Who are the saints? Those in Corinth. Look at they shall be judged by you. Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? We're going to judge angels? What's that talking about? Remember those angels in Genesis 6 that the sons of God went into the daughters of men and they were born into them giants and... God judged the world because of that. In Genesis 6, 1 through 4, you, you see all of that there. The New Testament talks about it. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to keep go back to 1 Corinthians in a minute, but look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, they're reserved unto judgment. Who's going to judge them? You and me. That's what the Bible says. We're going to judge them. Look at Jude 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, or under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. You and me, we are going to judge the world. We're going to judge angels. 
even. It's a wild deal. How many of you think that's pretty wild right there? That is a wild deal. So what are we supposed to do? Look, if you're going to do that, start by judging the garbage that's going on in your own church. Let's judge that. And look, I like the way that it says it. Verse 3, Know ye not, that we're, we're in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Let's, let's judge. Look at verse 4. If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. How about that? You ought to mark that verse in your Bible. You ought to tattoo it to your forehead. Look, this is so important that we get this. What we do, here's what the average Christian does. They look at something in the Bible that's very clear, and it's so clear, and yet it violates most of Christianity. And so what do they do? They go to the great men to interpret that passage for them. And they interpret it away. I'll give you an example. Uh, for my book, I've been studying philosophy and the, its influence in the, the Christianity. Colossians 2.8 says, um, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. In vain deceit, after the rudiments of this world, not after God, or not after Christ. All right? So it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. If you have an NIV, it says, Beware lest anyone spoil you through empty and dishonest philosophy, I think is what it says. There's not a Greek manuscript in the world that says that. It's very interesting. Why do they change it? Because this world loves its wisdom. This world loves its philosophy, loves it. The Bible says, beware of philosophy. So here's what happens. You look at that and it says, beware of philosophy. Beware lest anyone spoil you through philosophy. You say, well, I guess I need to stay away from Socrates and Plato. And, and you know, I just got this. Somebody tells me that they're going to judge me through philosophy. I need to say, well, I got the Bible. I don't need that philosophy. I mean, that would be the clear reading of the text, wouldn't it? Right? So you go to the great men and they say, well, this isn't talking about philosophy because, you know, all wisdom is God's wisdom. And we can learn great wisdom from these people. Well, the Bible says that the, that the wisdom which is of this world, the wisdom which is of this world, by that wisdom, they knew not God. So how can you reconcile wisdom that precludes you from knowing God with the wisdom that Colossians talks about that shows you the riches of the, where, where it's hidden of wisdom and knowledge. You can't reconcile those two things. So what did the great men do? They changed it. When just a common person who would read, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, they're going to think, Well, I guess I need to stay away from philosophy. You see what I'm talking about? That's a perfect example of it. The Bible says it's good that a man not touch a woman. All right? Now, we understand that's outside of marriage because the Bible talks about that. We, the scriptures tell us that very clearly. And so the preacher says that, man, don't have your kids dancing at the prom. That's not a good thing to do. All right, what have I done? I've looked, taken a clear teaching of scripture and I apply it to a practice in the culture. Then you'll go to a great man and it says, well, that means don't touch them in a sexual way. Really? That's not found in any Greek manuscript anywhere in the world. What is it? That's a great man trying to allow people to sin. It's very interesting. What is it? The simple judgment of the common Christian will be the answer. When uh, uh, Southwestern Seminary was being founded, I think it was just founded as Baylor. I can't remember exactly the, what came first. But uh, a man named B.H. Carroll, great Baptist preacher of the past, was the head of it. He was turning it over. He was getting up in years, and he was turning it over to a man that would follow him. I think his name was Dean. I have a letter that he was writing to Dean, and he said this. If error enters into the school, take it to the trustees. If, that, if they won't hear you, take it to the pastors. If they won't hear you, take it to the people. You will get a hearing there. Why? Because you've heard me say this over and over again. These infidels, they have to be taught how to think that way because you don't get it from the Scriptures. You have to go to a seminary to learn not to believe your Bible because the common people believe the Bible. There's a, I've got a book on expository preaching that's put out by the Master's Seminary edited by John MacArthur. 
And in one of the, the articles, this article's not written by MacArthur, but he teaches at his school. He says, whatever Bible you use, you're going to have to correct. But be careful that you limit your corrections to just two or three so that you don't undermine the confidence of the people in the Bible they hold in their hands. How many of you that sounds a little dishonest to you? See, that's what's being taught in the seminaries. What are we doing? We need to make sure that we understand just the least, just the common. Now, do you think least, it means the person that's the new believer that doesn't know God or, or the person that doesn't know God or the person who doesn't understand the scriptures at all? Is that what's being spoken of? No, just your average person. Not the great minds, the great ones, but the average person. Why? Because the Bible's written for all of us. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to judge, by the simple reading of the Scriptures. All right? Now, so we're going to judge. The Bible makes that very clear. But then look at Zechariah chapter 3. Let's finish this up. Zechariah 3, verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways... Okay, let's have to say this. I'm trying to be conscious of the clock for you. Um... On this judging thing and judging among the least, what is that? This is that we're going to judge Christianity by a clear and basic understanding of the Scriptures, apart from whatever great scholarship says about it. If great scholarship agrees with the clear reading of Scripture, then we'll agree with that great scholarship. If it disagrees with the clear, plain reading of the text, we're going to disagree with that scholarship. Why? Because you don't need great education to read the Bible and understand it in a plain and clear way. You see? And, and that's how we're supposed to judge. That's how we judge everything. Let's, make it, let's take it back to the sermon. That's how we judge our ways. We judge our ways by a clear understanding of the Scripture. That's, that's what we're speaking of. And then as my charge, for, as pastor of Grace Baptist Church, my charge is to keep it right doctrinally and keep everything pure and right, all of that. Uh, and then... When we as a church, we judge on the plain understanding of the Scriptures. All right? So now, uh, we're back at Zechariah 3, verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house. Look at what it says. And shalt also keep my courts. Keep my courts. What does that mean? What is, what, keep my courts. Well, it's very simple. In the temple, remember the temple, you had the holiest of all, that's where the mercy seat was. You had the holy place. And outside of that was the courts. The people were out in the courts. That's where the people were. The religious work was inside the temple. The people are out here in the courts. How are we going to govern religiously? How are we going to govern God's people properly? How are we going to keep them in line? How is that going to happen? Well, it's got to start where the, the leaders have to be holy. Right? Then we have to understand what our charge is. Then we have to judge biblically. When we do that, then the people will stay in order. It's very simple. It's very, very simple. So what does that mean? That means that the way we are in the holiest of all, the way that we are in church, the way that we are in our prayer life, that's the way that we're supposed to live out among the people. There's got to be that consistency, that oneness, that integrity. It has to be there, folks. That's us. And that might be the most practical sermon in the Bible. This is what we're supposed to do. If we're kings and priests, then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to walk in His ways. That's our personal life. We're supposed to uh, uh, keep, our, keep our charge. That's our religious work. That's our professional work. That's the vocation. He, uh, 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 Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, let's look at it. Ephesians 4, 1. I'm struggling with my quoting of Scripture today. I don't want to mess this up. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That's your charge. Right? That's your charge. So we keep His ways. We keep His charge. Then we'll be able to judge. And then we'll be able to keep His courts. That's the job of the priest. That's what we're supposed to do. How's that for a practical sermon? Let's you and me, let's be right. Let's be familiar with the ways of God and let's make sure that the way that we do things are governed by God. Then let's keep the charge that we've been given. 
And the charge is identified very clearly in Scripture as doctrine, behavior, money. Let's keep that right. Let's keep that right and then communicate it all through the Word of God. That's very clear. That's what our charge is. Then it becomes very clear that we are all to judge. We're all to judge. How do we do that? We can judge when we have the full assurance of the understanding. I don't know what to do. I do. Isn't that awesome? When you have the answer? How many of you ever said this? I wish they'd ask me. Right? Got to be ready with that answer. And then we got to live right out in the courts. We got to be we got to be right. The church has to be right. And then we got to take what we do inside these walls and take it out into the community and live it out in the right way. That's what we're supposed to do. Thank you Lord for your word. Lord, I hope it's challenged your people. I know it's challenged me.